Entertainment's podcast from Bottom Line Technologies. Right, let's kick off then. Um, good morning, all. Uh, we may have a couple more just join us digitally as we kick off, um, but I want to welcome you all to the Bottom Line's virtual media roundtable. Uh, and we have a wonderful panel uh, gathered today to help us out on that little train drive across the new data here. Um, so by way of introduction and to be brief, given we only have the hour today with you, uh, we have with us uh, Marion King. Marion uh, was the former CEO of Vocalink, uh, president of MasterCard UK, and more recently a director of NatWest Payments, one of the largest franchises in the UK for payments, and is here today as the uh, chair of the advisory board for the Payments Association. So great to have you with us, Marion. Thank you for joining this launch of the seventh edition. We also have Charlotte Crosswell with us today, former CEO of Innovate Finance, uh, a key contributor to the Khalifa Report and FinTech UK, uh, and currently the chair and trustee of Open Banking, which has gathered a lot of interest around the market and uh, appears in the report this year. So welcome, Charlotte, and thank you as well. And uh, my colleague, James Richardson uh, from Bottom Line, who has run a number of businesses across accounts payable, accounts receivable, treasury in, in the business payments domain. And more recently, uh, took on a lot of the fraud areas, things like the SWIFT customer security program, confirmation of payee, sanctions and transaction monitoring, et cetera, which, which has some good uh, exposure in the report as well. So thank you, James, uh, for joining us today. So um, just to introduce the uh, Payments Barometer report very briefly, um, this is a piece of work that Bottom Line started several years ago where we saw a gap in the market in terms of coverage of business payments and being the voice of the corporate. And we wanted to bring to the table the concerns, the uh, investments and some of the key themes that are happening around business payments for corporates, mid-corps, SMEs around the UK. And this year, we've also um, doubled the research by bringing in the US market. So the background has about 800 interviewees in each of those geographies, so 1,600 in the sample set, where uh, uh, the Ipso Mori guys have helped us collect the data and bring the uh, various outputs to you um, today. You'll see on page eight, there's a historical time series of the, the areas that have been brought out historically and some of the league tables on key influences and themes this year that we will dig into. So let me uh, bring in my colleagues here by uh, opening up some of the questions from the report. What I'll do is we'll start with some general questions and then I'll run through three chapters. I'll go through the fraud area. We'll go through the international and real time area and we'll go through the cash flow area, and we'll try and signal those as we go through. But let me start more generally, um, and James, perhaps I'll start with you and then come to Marion. Um, in terms of this year's report, is there any one data point that you found particular, particularly interesting that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, thanks, Ed, um, and uh, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> For me, the uh, kind of the standout data point being more on the uh, fraud and financial crime side that's where my eye was naturally drawn to and it was the statistic that 52 percent of organizations agree that there is an increase in insider fraud and collusion and that for me was a was a pretty hard hitting stat wonderful and in this world where we're working from home more um we know there's fraud initiatives going on how can we dent that number that'd be an interesting area to explore Thank you, James. Um, Marion, yourself, was there one particular stat or theme you wanted to highlight? Yes, Ed, I, I was sort of drawn to the barriers to real-time payments, bearing in mind real-time was launched in the UK, what, you know, 13, 14 years ago now, um, and is now in these states. Um, and then looking at the barriers to real-time payments, the highest reason that businesses gave in both countries for not using real-time payments was that they have no need for it. Closely followed by um, the second highest, which was we are unsure of the benefits. So for me, those two things don't really fit together that well. And I think it highlights that there's more learning, more education, and that the industry has more to do in terms of 
um, articulating the real benefits of real-time payments. Absolutely. And, and on the day where I read this morning that Stripe has launched their international payments infrastructure. So there's a lot of choice out there, a lot of tech for people to, to understand more about, especially in the business sector. Thank you. Um, and Charlotte, any, any particular area that you wanted to highlight um, at the front of this meeting? I mean, I think, yeah, I shall so I should do a bit of self-promotion perhaps on, on open banking and and the increase of the you know how um preparedness has, has risen from 55 to 63 percent. I think here yeah, when we look at the issues facing SMEs um through late payments, anything we're going to see to increase that adoption is is going to hopefully help uh, those SMEs see through um, you know recovery from the crisis. And um, so you're looking at half of the SME key, community using products powered by open banking um i think really shows us what's what's left to go um obviously it's you know it's a critical time now for open banking and i think you're working with those key stakeholders you know um, focusing on the small businesses and all the people therefore that they employ across the country um you know i think it's incredibly important that we try to do whatever we can to support them excellent well well thank you for for just highlighting a few of the areas in the report everybody reads and pulls out different things as they go through this because there is so much data and, and i'm conscious of that as, as we run through it uh, at speed today um let me go into the first area then a bit deeper which is fraud um and uh, i just wanted to highlight myself some figures that i can see the value is up in the uk sector of data by 10 percent um only 32 percent recovered fraud both in the UK and US, only one in three companies actually get the money back, which is interesting when you go into prevention and cure discussions. Seven out of 10 willing to do more checks in-house as a business rather than rely on a bank to pick things up, which is another interesting trend. Um, and also we know about APP fraud, authorised push payment fraud. We're all waiting for the UK finance report on that for official figures, but the expectation is it's going to be extremely high and will probably gather quite a bit of um, attention in the industry and press when those figures are published. So an active area for the financial crime piece. Um, James, that's why I come to you first and, and then Marion. Is, is fraud just a, a cost of doing business now? Well, um, the stats certainly show, Ed, um, that losses are up. Recovery is broadly low, about a third of funds get recovered, and this general feeling that it is part of doing business. Um, you know, the stats there are you know, 47% in, in Great Britain feel there's little we can do to recover losses, and that's across all sizes of business. It's a little bit higher in North America, 57%. Um, so there's this this feeling that we're all we're all feeling a little bit beaten, um, and I I think you know your comment about authorized push payment fraud is a is a good one. Um, that the last stat on that that we have in circulation is around 470, 480 million pounds um, within the within the UK and widely expected to you know we'll wait and see, but um, there are some that view that that could be tipping a billion. Um, but interestingly, it's overtaken card fraud and card fraud is now on the decline. So I think businesses are right to be concerned and worried that they are being targeted. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's fair. The, the thing that I would really like to challenge is there are, uh, there are things that organizations can do, whether you're a small business or whether you're an enterprise level or somewhere in in the middle, um, there is technology, there is education and support programs, um, and access to that has probably, this is probably the best it's ever been, actually. I think, you know, credit to the banks in rolling out large waves of education programs to their corporate customers and others, other fintechs as well, you know, Pay UK, Open Banking, and others have really supported this drive and initiative. Um, but I don't feel like it should be the answer. It shouldn't be that it's the cost of doing business. At what point did that become an okay statistic that, that we just accept, you know, half of businesses accept that we've just got to consume the fraud? 
So I, I would really ch- want to challenge that. I'm, I'm, I, I like to challenge that, and I'm a champion of believing that we, we, you know, we can we can go much further in that space. Um, I do think um, that COVID, we will look back, and we will look back in a couple of years and realise that COVID has probably been one of the biggest drivers for fraud hitting organizations um, worldwide. And, um, you know, we talk about the term catastrophic loss, where it's it's not just $10,000 frauds, they are hundreds of thousands or million dollar frauds. So my view, Ed, is it shouldn't be the answer. It's the feeling that definitely comes through in the report. And I think there's a lot that organizations can do if they can lift their heads up and look for education support, it's there. That's great, thank you, James. And there was a, a new category that I was interested in, the PSR consultation on, on COP to try and stem APP, the psychological damage, the victim, the cost of victims of frauds, um, which I thought was uh, spot on in terms of measuring that and, and acknowledging it. Um, Marion, pass on, come to you with um, a question around businesses and what responsibility they have in business payments to, to know who they're paying and how to look at the initiatives around. What, what initiatives should they be looking at to try and help improve the situation? Yeah, I think, you know, this report and the statistics are shocking, you know, and sort of, I can't help but feel as an industry a bit shame on us that this is still out of control and getting worse. And, and just to highlight what James is saying, and, and your comments, Ed, on the PSR, that this push payment scans particularly ruins people's lives. Um, and unfortunately, what we saw through the pandemic was they pick on the vulnerable, you know, because it's an easier target, which I think goes against what all of us stand for and what we believe in. And so it's it's the weakest link in the chain they go for, be it a person, be it a business, be it um, an association of some description. So, I think what was pleasing, though, from this report was the level of organisations that really want to take responsibility. And, and as, Ed, as James highlighted, you know, companies want to do more um, and they want to uh, sort of, in, in effect, improve their position on understanding and managing fraud. And, and you know, the insider fraud was something that I hadn't really foreseen and therefore using technology going through their own control environments, knowing staff, customers, suppliers, numbers is, is more important now than ever before and the need for refresh. Um, but confirmation of pay is an interesting one that we pulled out. And now it's really, really important that confirmation of pay is rolled out across businesses too. Uh, we started with consumers, we started with you know, major banks, that's now increasing. Um, and, and I think it's pleasing that it's, you know, a code of conduct. We all know we have to rise to the highest possible level to prevent fraud. Uh, it's not because the regulator told us to, it's because it's the right thing to do. So now we need to get it rolled out across for businesses, SMEs, larger businesses, and any registered body so that we can identify to the best of our ability at this time that we're actually sending money to, to the right um, entity. I also think that on that education front, businesses, uh, and again, it was pleasing to see it's happening in the report, need to learn more about what's coming. Um, ISO 2022, in terms of more data, more data attached to the transaction will help businesses, you know, coupled with uh, technology, of course, but this will enable businesses to try and get one step ahead in partnership with their suppliers and, and their financial um, providers and banks. So I think get ready for ISO, what it might mean, ask questions, challenge your partners, um, and really get focused on knowing where the money is coming from and where you're sending it to. Thank you, Mary. So a lot to do for the industry here. Um, Charlotte, how can open banking help in, in the fraud domain in particular in the UK? Yes, I mean, I think just picking up on, on James's comment, you know, yes, it is a cost of doing business, but that doesn't mean we have to accept it. Um, and I think we really have to take that step back and say, how do we how do we look at this as fraudsters become more savvy, unfortunately, of how to navigate. And for every bit of technology we bring in, 
there will be another another wave of them trying to get around that and you know as we know there are a lot of people who are struggling to recover from the pandemic a lot of businesses um and that unfortunately can lead them to make quite desperate decisions without really thinking through is this you know is this genuine or not um yeah the implementation entity we you know we support various fraud reduction initiatives as much as we possibly can so we provide the technology that enables the confirmation of payee um, and you know, continue to see huge demand for that. For everyone who thinks that you know, they don't want to go through that extra step, I, mean, you know, I always remind people that that's why you're going through that extra step is really making sure that that's what you know you are genuinely making a payment to the right person or the right business. Um, you know, so what we've seen is open banking payments that currently are often less vulnerable to this form of fraud. Um, mostly because the payment you know, provider, the PISP, has a relationship with the pay, um, and that can reduce the risk of payments being sent to a fraudster. Um, we've also launched an open banking fraud self-assessment tool that's free and available for open banking participants um, to try to allow them to assess and identify areas for improvement. And I think what we're also seeing a lot of intelligence sharing between ASPSPs, the banks, and the third-party providers um, and I think that's important as well, as we see that collaboration. This is a joint problem across industry, and it's not for any one set to um, to solve on its own, because that's the only way we can do it when you're seeing these, the technology get faster and people taking advantage of this. Um, and unfortunately, fraudsters you know, constantly always feeling that they're slightly one step ahead. Um, so I do think you know, collaboration has been quite key to, to what we've seen now. We will continue to develop the research into the behaviours um, using those scam um, warnings as well and making sure that you take that risk-based approach to it. Um, and we can't be complacent. So while, as I said, we've seen less within the open banking um, payments, you know, that doesn't mean that that's not something that may come down the pipe. So I think getting, getting used to that collaboration, seeing this as a joint issue, um, not accepting any increase at all and pushing ourselves to, to develop new ways of staying ahead, I think it's really crucial. Thank you, Charlotte. So uh, a lot more data in this world of digitalization, getting access to that, helping to stop the fraudster. It seems to be a, a, a perennial issue. And sometimes I even question if we didn't do all these initiatives, what would the numbers be? Because we're always fighting it every year with innovative approaches. And uh, heaven knows what it could be if, if, we, if we had a do nothing strategy and spend it down the marketing budget or something different. Um, horrific. Um, right, let me move on to the second chapter which we're going to talk about international and real-time payments. Again, a plethora of data down uh, that research. Um, always an area of big interest. Uh, I'm a big fan of the G20 work um, that's being done kind of geopolitically around access on cross-border payments and cost and transparency and speed, those four big pillars. Um, so it has a high profile and always seems to be difficult, whether you're on holiday as a consumer or as a business trying to make payments across different zones and regimes and things and very fluid of course with the with the tensions around Russia and Ukraine um, uh, changing the sanctions world and things like that so very dynamic area um, Charlotte perhaps I can stay with you and then come to Marion uh, how fast I mentioned digitalization how fast is this digitalization actually moving the agenda along in payments in your view um, so, yes, I mean, it really is, you, um, you know, it seems like the hockey stick for anyone who's doing their investor decks. Um, and we really are seeing now that accelerate. And that was very much drive, driven by COVID, as, as we know. I know when we worked on the Khalifa review that you, you referenced, it was estimated from the consumers that 6 million people downloaded their online banking app in the first month of COVID, which is just incredible when you think about it. And that wasn't necessarily the younger generation, obviously, that was older people. Um, who hadn't had to operate digitally before. Um, I think that is your know, relevant statistic. Um, and what we're seeing now, of course, is, is open banking payments is really accelerating um, now. So every, every few months, we seem to be notching up another million users. Um, and it gets to the point where, where do you get to the tipping point? Um, and I think that is, you know, that's certainly something that probably isn't that far away now. Um, it's a bit like when people use contactless and everyone was terribly nervous about using contactless and then it's only 10 years later of course nobody could really think about anything else um, and we are definitely seeing that obviously um, as I said post post COVID so certainly you know, we are expecting that to continue to accelerate 
in terms of adoption of open banking. You know, most people are aware that HMRC now takes step to pay your tax. Um, you can pay your court fines via open banking, pleased to know. Um, but also utilities, charities. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking at this as another alternative way of, of payment as people get used to this as well. Um, you know, that does obviously help to reduce the cost of expensive card handling, merchant fees. And when we come back to that constant demand for reducing costs and accelerating the recovery from COVID, I think you know, we are seeing a lot more awareness now from SMEs looking to take advantage of, of these new ways of payment. Um, and I think that is incredibly important. What we obviously need to be doing is, is constantly educating businesses as well about the benefits that open banking can provide for SMEs. Um, and, and coming back to the education piece, showing them that they are robust measures um, that have been put in place to guarantee that data privacy. And in a world where everyone's so concerned around data, everyone wants everything to be faster, use digital, hit every button they possibly can without considering what they're actually doing. Um, but there was also that concern over data, data privacy. And I think having that, having that balance is important as well. And so what we need to do is make sure that obviously we are educating those SMEs on, on getting the customer confidence and the trust in this new way of, of payments. Um, and I think it's incredibly exciting. Um, you know, so for anyone who says, you know, what's open banking, you know, I think we will probably be successful when we don't really know what open banking is. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of firms have obviously and, um, have used the pay by bank um, uh, terminology instead. And so it's a bit like when you go to book your online Uber, you don't really need to understand the API that happens to get that paid. You just need to know that it, it's, it's safe, it's secure and it's fast and it gets to where it needs to be. Um, so in April, we saw four and a half million open banking payments across, and that's just across the CMA9 that we measure um, and to put that into contact. So it was over 200% growth at the same time wow. last year. Um, so I think you know, if anyone thinks this is, this is going to slow down, I think it's really shown that this is just another way of taking um, advantage of the digitization agenda. So we're becoming more integrated, more connected, more international. Um, it sounds like we should be able to move money around the world quicker, better. Um, Marina, I wonder if I come to you, what, what more can the industry be doing to, to support UK PLC in international payments and real-time payments, in your view? Yeah, I, um, I think, as you say, like this time, like no time before, you know, we're facing into potential recession, we're facing into tough times, supply chain is compromised everywhere you go. You know, the reality of doing things today is very different from two years ago. And yet what stood out for me in, in, in your report was that speaking to businesses, SMEs, and through to larger organizations, what are the reasons you're stopping making international payments? So if you're stopping making international payments, it means you're ceasing to trade cross-border, which is not a positive thing in terms of where we need to look to grow our businesses. And it, it wasn't, well, look, we're downsizing or we've not had success in that market. It was, number one, was trouble in making international, paying international suppliers, just difficulty in transacting. And the second was then difficulty in tracking that payment once it had been made. And this is all just too much for businesses that are already finding life quite challenging right now. So again, it's down to all of us to do more to help our customers and to help businesses. But what does that mean? And I, I think it's a couple of things Charlotte was saying. You know, Charlotte talked about no one company can fix this. It's like the fraud situation. No one company can fix fraud. No one company can fix cross-border payments. And we know that international payments as, as your report shows it's difficult, it lacks transparency, it's expensive, often, you know, much more expensive than it needs to be. Um, and is it safe and is it secure? And all of those things play cross-border payments and we need to fix that because the technology is there. I think open banking will accelerate it dramatically in terms of who you can access, how you can access, but it's that collaboration point. It's that partnership point. And it isn't just meeting up and having a chat. It means really working together 
bringing the assets, the knowledge and the capability of multiple organisations to find solutions. And this is happening. I was really uplifted to see the collaboration between SWIFT, EBA um, and the Clearinghouse. I, I wouldn't have guessed that they were likely bedfellows. And yet they've got together to say, how can we get real-time payments cross-border effectively, transparently and more cheaply for, for businesses uh, and for governments as well? And so and we've seen initiatives in Europe and we've seen some that are struggling. Um, that's because it's quite hard. You know, I go back to my my um, um, Vocalink days and we often talked about sort of herding cats because everybody's got their own agenda and how do you bring this together? But it is happening and I think open banking um, will provide a catalyst for that. I think global standards also provides a catalyst where you're forced to do the same things in the same way at the same time. So it is... Um, Really important, I think, companies large and small and all um, players that impact the transaction market really think through how they can accelerate getting those safe, cost-effective, open payments through. Um, and I think there's more to be done. And I certainly applaud organizations large and small that are prepared to say, you know what, we're gonna put our assets on the table and let's see what we can do together. Fantastic, thank you, Marin. James, a, a lot here, we're talking global trade, we're talking about linking the world, keeping it secure in a real-time mode internationally. I heard Swift there in the background, where I know you spent a lot of time um, helping that network to, um, to move forward. What, what did you want to highlight, James, in this chapter of international payments and real-time payments, what did you want to sort of highlight for the business corporate in, in the payments regime? So I guess kind of two things. Um, one is to just kind of call out perhaps the obvious statement, which is fraud itself is an international business, and organisations within, uh, you know, within the UK or North or North America, where this report is particularly focused, um, many of them will be getting hit from international fraud uh, rings, fraud circuits. And so when you start to make international payments, it's worth recognizing that there's additional levels of checks, additional um, diligence that you wanna go through, just to give yourself that level of um, kind of assurance that you're paying who you think you're paying. And it doesn't have to be particularly onerous. And actually it's worth remembering that um, it's certainly what's highlighted in the report. Many corporates actually want to take advantage of the technology that's available, that has previously just been available to banks. More technology is available, as Charlotte and Marion have said, that can be embraced by corporates to support their international payments, not just the payments, but the checking of the, of the, of the funds as they're, as they're pushing them out the door. But there's certainly, you know, what I would call kind of next level checks that you just want to instill as standard and making, you know, making payments or the protection of payments should be everyone's business within the organization. It shouldn't just belong to the, the, the individual or team that controls the electronic purse. And it's okay from an attitude point of view, it's okay to challenge. Why are we making this payment? Are we sure this is right? So there's a, there's a there's a cultural shift that's needed to 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 embrace it. Um, ISO was mentioned. I think Marion mentioned ISO, and um, I think ISO twenty o two two, which is coming hard and fast, presents not it's not just a technology shift with more data. It presents far greater, richer data to perform greater checks. That's a wonderful thing for businesses to embrace rather than perhaps looking at it as a technological headache that they've got to make some file format changes in order to service um, international payments, embrace the fact that what it gives you is access to instant payments in, in, you know, in emerging geographies. It is becoming hard and fast the standard to operate to, and it's giving you a gift of you know, a wealth of, of data and information to perform um, checks to know who you're paying, 
And actually in, in the new um, climate since Russia, um, you know, I think businesses are becoming far more interested about where they're making payments, not just who they're making payments to. Um, and then my final piece on it is, is just to kind of call out instant payments um, means that more checks need to be taken by corporates up front. Now, it hasn't got to be onerous, as I said before, but just recognizing that the more hops there are in the chain, um, especially, and that happens with, with international, recovery gets harder. So, and, and this is not an advert to say, don't do international payments. In fact, it's the opposite. It's to say, make the international payments. Um, the, the, the benefit is very clear, but take the, the, take the responsibility of performing those checks up front. And actually you'll find it's, fu it's far easier to, to kind of grease the wheels of the, um, of, of the payment machine. So there's a general shift moving to corporates from banks anyway. Access to technology has never been easier. Um, but just being savvy about what you need to do, I think, is um, is important. Excellent. Thank you, James. Again, a lot there, a lot of tech out there. Um, there were some interesting statistics in the report about the amount of people investing in this area. I think they recognise it. And just to repeat one of the stats, seven out of 10 businesses said they were happy to do more checking, uh, particularly sanctions, uh, captive sanctions checking before the payment goes, rather than um, the last resort of a bank back end picking it up. So certainly an area um, that's uh, very active in terms of international payments and the complexity to manage there. Okay, we're more or less on time. So let me move to the third chapter, if I may, that, that we set up for you, which is the cash flow area and some of the data there. Um, COVID, you won't be surprised, came through on this work as the number one uh, disruption on, on the league table, the influence again for the second year, just unprecedented in terms of uh, the impact that that has had. Um, and everyone's trying to bounce back literally, not just via loans, but bounce back as we speak. Um, cash flow is still king, of course, um, poor bloodline to the business. So be, having visibility around it is key. Uh, I'd highlight as well before, um, I'll, I'll come back to you again, James, if I may, in a moment for your view. Um, I'd highlight that this late supplier payment is still there. That This is something that actually, um, frustrates me as a practitioner that uh, this is a behavioral pattern but not just in the uk 84 percent purposely pay late but also in the us now we've got a statistic of 82 percent are stretching out that that supply chain on uh, on payments which in a digital connected world you'd think could be uh regulated or or changed uh, very quickly um so uh a lot of data in the cash flow key area. James, perhaps I'll come back to you just one last time on this area. What, what area did you want to pick out that a CFO ought to perhaps focus on out of this business uh, barometer report? Um, well, I just got to call out these naughty, naughty businesses paying late. That's, um, you know, there's a, there's a better way of doing it, isn't there? Um, and, and genuinely, there, there, there is. Um, and a lot of organizations that are on the receiving end or wanting to be on the receiving end are actually quite interested in um, in, in some form of uh, reduction to get the cash early. So there's the, 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 it comes back to communication and the, and the, and, and the fact that it's, it's all digital as well. I think there's an opportunity to, to improve that as a general point for CFOs and others to kind of think about. I would really encourage um, if I kind of put my uh, you know, fraud and financial crime hat on, I'd really encourage organizations to lift up, look at the whole landscape of how to make payments, recognize that there's been more change in the payment landscape in the last two years than there probably has in the last 20. And I've been in it for 20 odd years. Um, and that presents opportunity, not negative change it presents opportunity and um fraud has always been seen as a bit of a balloon that gets squeezed and i'll go back to my earlier comment about card fraud the card industry has done a wonderful job in reducing card fraud all these extra checks that are put in place well what's happened 
card fraud's gone down, unauthorized push payment fraud has gone up. So the balloon's been squeezed into this area that right now is a double whammy because of the card fraud reduction and because of COVID and, and the increase in insider fraud and, and um, international fraud circuits. So I think I would encourage CFOs to lift up, look at the wider picture, the opportunities that present themselves to um, improve fraud detection have, it, it, this is, hasn't got to be complex. They've just got to li lift up and embrace what's there rather than accept that we've, it's a cost of doing business. Um, that is, that's not a, uh, you know, I think as many would argue, it's not the right, not the right attitude and, it's, and together we can definitely do more and should do more. Thanks, James. Um, Charlotte, can I come to you next on cash flow and, and the health of the business? What, what other general advice would you pick up from the report and perhaps highlight in that space? Um, certainly, the statistics, which shouldn't be a surprise to, to anybody, um, are that 69% of, of businesses um, in the UK you know, have highlighted the issue that they need to, you know, they need to receive this money quickly. Um, and we just aren't doing enough to make that happen. And I think, again, coming back to you, know, are we going to live with some of these issues and say this is a perennial problem? No, we can't. We cannot do that. Um, so many people are now saying to me that they're noticing small businesses start to close down because they had their loans, they managed to survive COVID, they thought everything was sort of back on track, they recognised they would start to repay. And then we had, um, we had, we had uh, you know, the cost of living crunch, we've had energy prices going up and suddenly you, they're already living day to day. Um, and we have to therefore make sure that this cash flow isn't the thing that trips them up and makes them, you know, makes them think that this isn't yeah you know, they're not a viable business anymore it's just not acceptable and it really isn't now again that comes down to a bit of education um it comes down a lot to down to what we can use as you know in technology to ensure this happens you know, there are abilities for companies to to send out invoices now with a link saying if you bank with one of these banks pay now you know, so we've got to make it seamless it's not always intentional um, a lot of the time, it's we'll do that later, and then it falls it falls off a cliff, and then it requires so many chases. Um, so we have to make it as easy as possible, um, and we have to really, really push all businesses, large and small, to ensure this is said this is the thing that trips them up. Um, so obviously, real time payments are one of those solutions um, to help those companies pay the invoices. Um, and as I mentioned the example with HMRC earlier. You know, using that on a large scale, you know, helping those back office reconciliation costs is incredibly important. And that in turn has helped government. That saved it. That saved government huge amounts of money. Um, an estimated six billion, I think, is sitting in suspense accounts with something but one digit wrong on their taxpayer reference when putting in their, their tax return. And then, of course, they're getting fined. Government doesn't know where to reconcile their money to. Um, so being able to take that friction out through through open banking payments has you know, had quite a positive impact on that and that's just one small example really of how we can make this easier um but shame on us if we don't if we don't highlight this and we don't help these businesses get through this crisis um and sure they come out the other side and really tackle this issue once and for all then we are we're doing those businesses a disservice thanks charlotte and it kind of it, it appears to me that the the technologies there everything is real time more accessible um we've got regulatory support in some markets it's just connecting it to the future users that education bit and enriching it with more collaboration um yeah. so that adoption can take off and attack things like like cash flow and visibility and, and tracking of where things are um, around the world um, i think it's getting easier ed i think yeah we are we are starting to see this technology be adopted and i think once again it comes to that tipping point once people recognise that there's something they can just hit the button and get it done, um, you know, using accounting software, you know, these are things that will will become very much day-to-day -day usage. Um, but as I said, it's anything we can do to accelerate that because it is going to be a tough 12 months ahead for businesses across the country. Um, so let's use all our tools in our, in our toolkit to make sure that we push things forward. Absolutely. A, a rallying cry. Um, Marion, perhaps you could uh, close off this third chapter around cash flow and some of the th things you saw in the report that you may want, if you were sitting with the CFOs, you may want to share. Yeah, um, 
And I'm really pleased James raised the point of culture um, across the payments industry. And it seems that this report really pulls out two things that, that need to change and keep shifting. One is it's not and shouldn't be accepted as a cost of business that fraud is just there. We have to fight it more aggressively. And secondly, it's not good to pay late because if you pay late, you'll receive late. And so we need to shift the culture because we talk about faster payments, immediate payments, real-time payments, technology is there. And, and maybe CFOs need to sort of step back and look at what speeding up the payment process can do for their business, both in terms of cash flow management, both in terms of treasury management and liquidity, and only pushing the money out when it's needed on time, but in real time or near time. And, and I, I make that differentiation because again, James raised the point of friction versus real time. Um, and so instant payment isn't always the answer, but in near real time is. Um, but also the culture of real time payments, perhaps businesses, the CFO and the CEO should really think about payments as a differentiator. Being easy to do business with and a trusted partner, i.e. you pay on time and effectively, um, with clarity of what the payment is for, is a really important part of the brand and what businesses can do. And so I think, you know, having spent seven and a half years now in banking and bringing payments up as a business opportunity and a business enabler, not back office plumbing, a business enabler. And now we have open banking that allows you to take your financial packages, treasury, invoicing, inventory, accounting, and bring the transactions through with the data and so that you can lock in a flow that treats everyone fairly. And that culture of paying on time and using technology to enable you to do that effectively has to be um, where we move forward. So I think my call to, to businesses would be think about your payment mechanisms, your invoicing mechanisms, as not just a cost of doing business, but potentially a differentiator and a way of being good to do business with, I think, which is, which is what we all need. Um, and so, you know, that together with reducing fraud, um, and managing these two big cultural threats to, to our industry, I think, you know, and excuse the pun, but will really help improve bottom line for, for most companies. You know, these are real ways. And I know in the bank, you know, the biggest shift in the bottom line will be reducing fraud. You know, right. revenue is harder and harder, you know, um, and it's about taking the waste out of our business and the shame out of our business to improve business performance. Excellent. Um, let me say that we've covered, we've covered a lot there. We've covered the, the fraud, the international real-time payments, um, and some of the cash flow. Let me just squeeze in one brief question. I want to open the floor just to see if there's any immediate questions um, from the journalists. And you're welcome to use the Q&A box if you want to type them out or we'll come off mute very shortly. But as a little final bonus question, just listening into the panel, um, where where does a business go to learn about this stuff? What would you suggest, James? Um, that is a really good question, and it's one that I'm I'm now being asked more about, probably in the last six months, from uh, from businesses than any previous time. And I think part of that is recognizing the change in the in the balance on the on the dependency on the banks within within the mix historically a lot of the education and the change in understanding payments has been on bank has been at bank relationship level um, for a variety of reasons and for good that mix is changing and it's not it, it it's not that banks don't have the part to play of course they do but i would really encourage organizations to have a number of data points um, you know looking at Look at fintechs. Um, look at you know Pay UK, Open Banking, um, UK Payments, and bank relationships. Um, 
that is all really helpful because everyone's coming at it from a different angle. There will be overlapping um, information where you can inf- you can kind of get a sense of um, you know what's important for you and your business. And you know, whilst shameless plug, but the bottom line would love to be seen as a strategic payments partner for many of our customers, and we are. We also know that we're not the answer to everything, and and we still encourage people to go out beyond us and look, and look look out look elsewhere to get extra data points. So there is no one shop to go to, um, and it as it does require some effort. Um, and I would encourage people to not just rely on previous bank relationships to get that to get that source because the dependent because the play of the banks in the mix is changing. Um, and uh, it's not necessarily in the bank's interest to highlight all of the changes that are coming down the line as there's as there's um, you know great, greater um, a kind of relationship breadth across the financial community. So uh, that would be my my thoughts on the mix, Ed. That's excellent, thank you. And even whole new cohorts, third party process TPPs to get lost in our industry acronyms is a whole new body that can can manage the payment experience for businesses and consumers. Um, Charlotte, you, did you want to add anything on that question? Where, where does a business go to learn this stuff? Or Marion? Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a great question, isn't it? Because so many of us use so many multiple different providers now. Um, but for a lot of really small businesses, that's not so easy um, you know, to go through and the plethora of information they get sent through the post and then they get sent um, through advertising, et cetera. I think what you're going to see is people start to provide probably three or four different providers they trust. Nobody gets the best deal out of financial services across this country. Nobody, not a consumer, not a business. We all are not maximizing any savings we have. We're probably all overpaying on mortgages or insurance. And what a depressing thought that is, um, that you know, even the most financially savvy, and we're probably the worst, um, are not maximizing this. And for businesses, you can understand used to be able to go down to your bank, you'd have your business relationship manager, and that was it, and what they said went. Now, obviously, what we now know is, of course, that wasn't the right thing either. Um, and there is you know, there is competition out there. There is more transparency. Um, and I think our next, it wouldn't surprise me, the next wave of evolution, are we going to see these super apps that get created that helps direct people, saying, right, you want help on tax here. You want help on, on payments here. You want help on data here. Um, and we haven't quite seen that. So if there's a fintech and anybody out there, you know, that's what I'd call a call to action is we do need a bit of help in navigating. You know, I think a lot of people would say, is that down to is that down to government? Um, I think we, we've all seen in the past that generally <laughs> that might seem the best place, but generally industry will need to deliver on this one um, yeah. to make well, it we the might most be waiting efficient. a long time. Yeah. <laughs> no comment on that one. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, we will we will start to see regulators step in on this. And we obviously saw this in open banking, there wasn't enough competition. There wasn't, you know, we had a directive coming into Europe and you can see what's happened in Europe. We haven't seen as much progress because an implementation entity wasn't set up. And having that focal point of what's been done by you know, my colleagues and the industry across that to provide that common standard has really driven through innovation. Um, and a lot of people would say, well, has that resulted in account switching? Perhaps not. Has it resulted in people using this for payments? for data, for transparency, for ease. Yes, it has. Um, so that's just a small part of what legislation's been brought in. We continue to see that. So we're going to see these in, in bite-sized chunks. Um, and I, I know from conversations, obviously, on a regular basis with, with government and the regulators, this is the thing that's bothering them, is how do we help the businesses get back on their feet? And how do we help them you know, recognise that there is help available? So. A few, choose a few providers, I would say, um, but not too many. Otherwise, you'll be there forever. Fascinating. I love, I love that idea of a, a super app. I think um, I think we'll start to see that happen now. I think that's in terms of helping businesses navigate this complexity because we've all highlighted how much it's changed, you know, and it's changing around us. You know, just yesterday was another bit of legislation. Oh, there's another report. It's constant. So how do businesses navigate? And I guess with my payments association hat on, it's made me think, well, look, you know, um, probably neutral bodies need to do more in terms of helping businesses that don't quite know how to go about this. You know, a a payments association is for all members, it's growing rapidly, It's, it's banks as well as small fintechs, but it's a neutral, safe place 
for businesses to talk and share. And I think there's, there's a role in trade association. I think there's a role in you know the, all the events we have around our industry, but drawing data out of that and some sort of navigation tool, I think would be a really positive thing. So I shall certainly take that back into the Payments Association in terms of augmenting that education piece, that um, routing people to the right areas to go to, not an advertisement, but, you know, routing where you should go in terms of the questions that you might have. Let me um, wrap up then. First of all, by thanking the panellists um, for coming in and sharing uh, your insights um, from the wealth of experience that you bring to the table. It really is um, appreciated and I think it gives some good colour to the business payment uh, barometer. Um, We've covered uh, a number of areas very briefly. I mentioned it was just a, a flavor as, as we drove our little train through this um, data pack. So we covered fraud, we covered international and real-time payments, and we covered cash flow, pulling out some of the data elements. Uh, some of the themes went through digitalization, uh, the new tech that's out there that uh, people can choose from as a business and how the fraud continues to be painful um, leakage from the industry. Uh, and we have to keep uh, fighting hard and investing in, in that space. Thank you. Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.